This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing in living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Brad Watson, and today we have a special episode of an interview that Jared and I did live in person at the Soma Retreat uh, with Zach Eswine, the author, professor, pastor, uh, and it was really great. Uh, Jared, it was great to be with you in person doing all of that. Yeah, it was good. I'm actually um, shocked that whenever I saw you this time that you had a smile <laughs> on your face. <laughs> I was I was really happy to see you. I'll be honest, yeah. it was a little overkill. Yeah. Like, well, the first time that I met you, I mean, it was literally like, Brad, what's up? And he said, oh, hey, what's up, man? Like you had just been in LA for like I guess two months and you were already acting big time, and then this time yeah. you were like, "Yeah," and it was almost kind of like I don't think that's really you, you know. But I'll be honest, I would rather have like the fake nice bread than the authentic real, not nice bread. That's what most people say. Yeah, that's that's a common experience <laughs> that people have. After they see the true self, they're like, can you please go back to the fake self? <laughs> that's that's what I'm asking yeah. for. Yeah, more of that. Right, yeah, like in my DNA groups and stuff, it's like, hey, you know, can you just go back to being like that, that jovial pastor person and yeah. not uh, the one with the, all your problems? Yeah, <laughs> no, it was uh, – this year was a good retreat, Soma retreat, San Diego rain the whole time yes uh, but it keeps good. getting better but outside of the weather yeah we got a chance to good. eat dinner together which was great got a chance to meet your lovely wife i know she's pretty sweet she's pretty nice yeah mirella am i saying that right you're right boom nailed it and uh yeah we had a good old time i went to that restaurant like three times and it wasn't good like fantastic except for what you ordered you ordered the steak Oh, man. And see, I should have done that every time. Yeah, I think I shared that with uh, – yeah, you had some of that or just did your wife I had some? some of yours. Okay. And she had some. We all we all ate of the steak. It okay. was delicious. It really yeah. good. I'm surprised yeah. you ate there three times. That's really odd. Of all the know, restaurants, well. it just – did you just not have a lot of energy left to give when it came to making a decision on a restaurant? It's like, ah, I did let's it. just go back. Yeah, I didn't have very much. People are like, and there were always all these people. So I was like, well, that place was huge and empty. So let's go. You <laughs> <laughs> used all of your energy on greeting me. I did. There was not much left after that. And uh, it's a, yeah, the it's amazing. This family of churches that's getting so big. Uh, <laughs> there were like, I don't know, felt like hundreds of people there. That was so a lot of people there. That was, was great. That was a lot of people. A lot of hanging out, a lot of fun. Yeah, and in the middle of it, uh, we got to interview Zach Eswine, yep. which was kind of a treat. Uh, it was also great just interviewing him because we interviewed after he'd given a few sermons and everyone was there watching us interview him and we took some questions from the crowd. But it was fun to like hear people's responses because normally with the podcast, we just are talking in our closets by ourselves. So that was pretty cool mm-hmm. just to hear people's hmms and oh wows and then laugh that was fun yeah it was great i I think i shared with you before brad but zach has had an influence in my life and so um his book the imperfect pastor which obviously the book that he wrote that kind of led us to want to bring him in to talk with the pastors and pastors wives and church planners who were there but there's a line in his book that where he just asked the question of do I possess a stamina for going unnoticed? Can I handle being hmm. overlooked? Yeah. And that has like been huge for me because I think a lot of my own life in ministry has been, um, sure, like pure motives of, man, I love Jesus. He's changed my life. And I want people to know Jesus, but also like a little bit in there of like, yeah, I really, I want to be seen. Hmm. You know, I don't want to be overlooked. I want to be noticed. I want to be successful. I want to know that I've made my life count or whatever else. And um, I think sometimes that can be good. And then other times like it's led to really unhealthy ways of, mm-hmm. of being and relating to others. And so that line and that question in that book really has spoke to me. And of course there's other things as well 
that he has shared and, and written. So it was a real treat for me to have an opportunity to interact with him for a little bit. And I personally think people are really going to enjoy what he has to say. Yeah, if you're not familiar with him, you should just Google him and buy his books. Uh, Zach Eswine, uh, such a gentle, kind soul, but also just so brilliant. Uh, so brilliant. And so for those of you leading out there, it'll just be like a breath of fresh air. And and many people at the retreat were comparing him to Eugene Peterson. And I think it was pretty good comparison of someone just sort of taking up that mantle of, of caring for the souls of pastors and leaders, not for what they can do, but just who we are. And yeah, I loved it. I loved talking with, I loved how we talked about Jesus as the Lord and our Lord. And we just don't do that enough. I want to weave that in a lot more in my life of just like, you know, our Lord Jesus is kind and good. And so yeah. I really enjoyed talking with him and and hope uh, you, the listeners, enjoyed this conversation about being a leader and your ego and slowing down. Uh, we talk about ways of, of scheduling your life to focus on Jesus. We We dive into a little bit of his story. Really, really good, rich conversation on leadership, but not like the others that you might expect. So with that, let's dive in. Enjoy. Have you guys been blessed by Zach so far? It's been encouraging to y'all. So. Um, thank you so much for being here. As I shared with you in the back, we were talking and I, I told him that I'm a recovering performance junkie who tends to find love, or at least a false version of love and affirmation through my success as a pastor. And so it's been wired into my story somewhat. So whenever I came across a couple of his books, especially The Imperfect Pastor, um, it was convicting, but also like a breath of fresh air. And so you've been a huge encouragement to me. And I'm somewhat familiar with your story. But for those who aren't, I'm interested in in, in having you unpack for us, how has your story uh, particularly shaped kind of where you are today and how you view ministry and life a little bit differently than maybe the way you viewed it uh, years ago whenever you first stepped into it. As I listened to you talk and read some of your writings, in a lot of ways you echo to me what I would hear from the Apostle Paul who says, I've learned to be content with my weaknesses. And I think for most of us, or at least for me, I tend to want to sweep those under the rug as quickly as possible. So how has your story helped shape kind of to bring you along and and that philosophy and, and view of life? Well, uh, my life had to implode. So otherwise, I don't think I would have been teachable to what we're talking about. I, I would have wanted to be. I would have tried to be. I would have talked about it like I knew some of those things. But um, I remember um, being interviewed for a book I wrote and an award it received and being interviewed for that. And I gave that interview in my, you know, pajamas, you know, in a re- uh, Benedictine retreat house out in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. I was in the, I was in the room called the bathroom. And, uh, but I had been crying my eyes out. I had lost about 30 pounds and was losing hair. And I'm giving that interview, which is still online. And um, to hear myself say good things that were helpful, knowing where I was, uh, is a frightening parable for me that uh, somehow I've gotten to the point of really being able to give my gifts without offering myself. Because hmm. if I had done that interview live, I would have I had to cancel it hmm. in person or, or completely fake you know, my life. And somehow the technology there allowed me to veil it even more. And in the mystery of God's providence, like we were getting at, no one's immune. The fact that God blessed people through that interview doesn't change the fact that I'm a mess in a retreat. And that stuff goes together. Mm -hmm. And so I would, I think I would have bought into what a lot of us have bought into because the ministry Because he's answering prayer, bearing fruit through the gifts he gave me, Mm. that must mean I'm favored. Mm. Rather than that means he's committed to ministering to his people Mm. through the means and gifts he's given. And um, I got that stuff confused. 
I think, without having to do that. So the long end and short of that is that, you know, my wife of 15 years walked away from the Lord and walked away from us. Mm-hmm. And I became a single dad with primary care of my three kids uh, overnight. And a number of, the, of people who saw me as an up-and-comer two weeks earlier, you know, or disappeared. It was just me and the kids in the dark trying to find some sunshine. I think, uh, and having to take a long look at myself, as well as being the recipient of those kinds of choices, and eventually being in a local ministry context as a single dad with three children. Someone called one time, uh, I, can I meet with you? Can I meet with you? Or There's a lot going on in my life. I said, I can, mm-hmm. I'm, in the, I'm in the parking lot at the school. I'm picking up one of my kids. I have another one in the back seat. You know, one's at home. I say, I can call you tonight after eight. I can call you tomorrow after eight. Or two days from now, I can meet with you pretty much any time during the day. That's because when I get my kids home from school, we got dinner, we got homework, we got baths, we got mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And by the time they go to, to bed, I can call you. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that person was uh, irate, mm-hmm. just really angry, talking about how unavailable I am as a minister. And um, I think if I did not have to, if I was in that position, I probably would have rearranged everything in my kids and in my family mm. to keep that person mm-hmm. from being irate mm-hmm. to make sure they knew the quote unquote comfort of God. Yeah. When the truth is the issue they were talking about was a 15 year old issue mm. and they have a whole community mm. of people. And I just offered three times of availability to be a part of that. The mm. person wasn't in danger and it wasn't a, an emergency. I think the biggest change has happened is by the grace of God, something, something actually did change that I don't bend our family or our church for one person's demands. Mm. I would have done that all the time before. Mm. And I don't know. They can leave. It's okay. They can leave. Mm. I don't mean that callously, but part of discipleship is learning to wait. And if, if you can't wait four hours uh, with community before you get to me, there's just deeper problems there. Mm. And if I keep bending everything so that you never have to feel uncomfortable, mm. you never have to wait an hour, I'm not helping. Yeah. Uh, now, there's a kind of, there, there are some of us who already don't like people in pastoral ministry and can really twist what I just said. <laughs> I feel like you just, you kind of looked at me. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. But assuming that you're a person who worries that you're not available enough, you're the kind of pastor leader who worries that someone's going to fall through right, the cracks. Right. I'm trying to say for you yeah. um, to offer three times that in, in a community apart from yourself that invites someone to wait a little bit, uh, you're not being unfaithful. You're being faithful to them and faithful to whatever, you know, in this case, my kids and you know, whatever it was. But I don't know if I would have learned that. I, I'm ashamed to say without the hardship of it. Yeah, that's so good. I think one of the things that often seems to take place and is that we get comfortable as leaders being used and using other people, like that dynamic where you were just talking earlier about our creatures like created and to marvel at that, that, that we're the image of God that, that shows us something about God yet in leadership, we kind of twist it really quickly and just think, how can I use these people? And I like that they're using me. Mm-hmm. Like I like that they're calling me and needing, they need me to comfort them. Yes. Like how, how awesome is that? They really need me and I really need them to need me. Uh, how do you, as you've cared for pastors and even in your own life, how do you get through that? If you can relate. Yeah. Not, not quickly. Mm -hmm. Because the brutal thing is, is that we're talking about, we're, we're talking about something other than love Mm -hmm. and liking it. 
Mm-hmm. And um, which is to say, we're talking about something sinful. Yeah. And that's all brutal. So it's not quickly. Uh, I can use you to leverage my platform and never have to love you. You can use me for my gifts without having to love me. Mm-hmm. And in that, we imitate our sexual culture. Mm-hmm. We imitate our um, relationship culture, friendship, which benefits uh, without commitments. And so what, what I, you know, so a phone call in the parking lot with the kids is inviting that person who's calling to, in their need for my care, to love me mm-hmm. and my, my care for others. They'll have to do that. Yeah. But they haven't been trained to do that. I mean, if you don't like your bank, you leave it. You know, right. if you don't like a menu item, you send it back. You know, half-calf latte with soy and you gave me 2%. Send it back, you know. So without even being a curmudgeon about mm-hmm. it, it's just in there. Right. So when folks say it's a consumer culture, we're just really deeply impacted by it. Mm-hmm. So how we get through that is going to have practices in the life of a church that is disruptive. Totally. So an example would be a, a person comes and says, I, you know, I would like to be in a home group. We call them house groups. They're brand new to our church. I'd like to be in a, they visited three times. I'd like to be in a home group. Uh, it's got to be on a Tuesday or a Thursday night. Yeah. has to be at 7.30 p.m., must have child care, has to be in South County. They've just ordered their latte, half-calf with soy. Yeah. They don't know they've done that. Yeah. But that's exactly what they just did. Mm-hmm. And earlier in ministry, I would, have, I would have mobilized, I would have created, I would have volunteers, I would have had all that to meet that mm-hmm. particular order. Now I don't. Why would I do that to committed people for someone? I don't even know if they're going to stay. Right. So these folks are invested. That person's not. Right. So I was backwards. Mm -hmm. But what that means is that person might leave Mm -hmm. because I'm going to make a relational move and say, so glad you want to be a part of home groups. We really, that's a heartbeat of what we do around here. Our next one starts in about 12 weeks. We'd love for you to, to be with us. Actually, we usually say, just hang out with us for about six months before you join or anything or do anything. Mm -hmm. So we'd love just to get to know you and you can get to know us I'm happy to get some coffee, and we got a newcomer's lunch coming up on Sunday afternoon. And can that person wait? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's not immediate gratification. It's an invitation to a story. So the practice is that I wouldn't have done before is I'm not going to mobilize everybody for that one yeah. person, and I'm going to make a relational move, and if the person wants to leave, I'm going to let them. Yeah. That's so good. And that's hard. Yeah. Because, yeah, maybe we need money or maybe I want to be liked or maybe that person actually needs to stay because learning to wait would help them in their life. You know, like whatever, all the mixture of motives. Hmm. The church down the street's bigger. It's probably going to go there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know. Well, I think that's very true. uh, That's so true. And that's exactly what goes through my head all the time. So. It's good to know I'm not taking crazy pills. Or maybe I'm taking the same crazy pills right. that you used to take. That's so right. now I need to get those pills. That's right. Um, I think, so something that I experienced just my own life is had few opportunities just to like go other places and train or preach or, or do, you know, kind of like what you just did in a much less helpful degree. And, uh, and it feels, it always feels just so good. Like, oh, like, all these people loved all my stories. They like listened to me. They just laughed at all my jokes. Uh, and then I, I, I go home to my church or my community and I then get to experience, you know, these people because I liked being used for my skills, you know, and my talents and my one big thing. Yeah. I didn't like the, the necessity of being, I don't know, an earthly person, mm-hmm. you know, like with, with soil and dirt and yeah. knowing and being known. And I think that's, that's something that just we in the church struggle with people participating in it, people leading it, serving them all across the board. 
Do you have any solutions for me? <laughs> no, what do you th- I think you're right on. Uh, it's, it feels unsafe to be a human being as a pastor or a leader in ministry because we're in a consumer culture. It doesn't feel safe. We're also in a celebrity culture, mm-hmm. which uh, you might preach faithfully every, every week, you know, and they're listening to the podcast of someone else's sermon. Um, and letting you know what the podcast sermon said, mm-hmm. even though the podcast guy will never visit them in the hospital right. or never mm-hmm. be in part of their family or walk with them through the right. porn addiction or whatever it was. And, uh, and they don't realize it. Yeah. it it's not a, it's a, it's a fact more than that they're trying to be whatever. Right. And so that celebrity culture. Right. So, um, Beneath all that is simply this. Uh, we can have uh, great proclamation, deep theology, bold faith, sacrificial giving, but without love, it's all nothing. That's what the Bible plainly teaches us. Yeah. And so we're, we need to hear that like a million times because very few people say that. Yeah. So that it's a, to be able to say it's very dangerous for me to be here right now. Mm-hmm. For me to talk to you, it's why I started the whole thing. Riverside Church is praying for you. I come from Riverside. My my three children, we're surprised we're having another one. I'm starting mm-hmm. there because for myself now, I'm trying to anchor myself in my actual non-virtual world. Yeah. That's so uh, somehow to speak from there. And I used to not do that. I used to, if I was speaking somewhere, I would use uh, skills at communication to have the best introduction, grab attention right mm-hmm. away. Boom, right in there. Yeah. Um, and now I, I don't do that. I, I, uh, mm. I have coffee breath, you know, I, <laughs> uh, and so I think, and, and what I'll ask, uh, folks back home is that, do I sound like me? Mm. You know, if I'm writing something, they're reading it. Various members of the congregation leaders are mm. reading it. If I'm, if I'm saying something, does this sound like me? Does this sound like Zach? Yeah. Another practice is that I pray. Lord, deliver me from a preacher voice. Mm-hmm. Lord, uh, you know what I mean by that? You know, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Lord, help me speak as Zach from Henryville. Because mm. that's where I'm from, Henryville, Indiana. Uh, Lord, help me speak as, as the pastor of the people of Riverside know me to be, the human being they know me to be. Yeah. And uh, I pray stuff like that. And uh, it feels unsafe. Yeah. Because some folks are going to think you're yeah. weak or overlook you. You're they're comparing you to the other celebrity. Yep. And in community, we need a lot of help to learn to, to let them overlook us. Mm-hmm. You talk a lot about, or you've warned against doing large things in famous ways as mm-hmm. fast as you can. That's a real temptation. Yeah. I was wondering if you could unpack that for us a little bit about what that looks like, not only just for pastors, but for just ministry leaders, even those who are in lay leadership in the church. Yeah. We, what I'm about to say, we all know most things that matter in life require us to do small, mostly overlooked moments over a long period of time. Most things that matter in life require us to do small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Friendship. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not how many likes we have, but like the real thing, mm-hmm. the, real, the real friendship. You know what I mean? Marriage. Forgiveness getting through an illness, learning to play the piano, learning the books in the Bible, becoming skilled at your vocation. Mm-hmm. Uh, just about anything that matters requires lots of small, overlooked things. The problem is, is that our culture prizes large, famous things as fast as you can, as efficiently as, efficiently as possible. Mm-hmm. And so those we serve as ministry leaders in their workplaces, they're all evaluated regularly on the basis of their production. They have to do a a big thing in a notable way immediately and efficiently so that the company turns a profit so they can do a bigger thing in a more notable way, uh, faster efficiently so they can turn a more profit. And it doesn't end. It keeps going. And so folks are wore out with trying to produce. And uh, we're bored with small, mostly overlooked things. We, we think it's drudgery. We think it's uh, an impingement on our freedom. 
we we think we're not liberated, we're not uh, autonomous enough, we're not individual, we're not fulfilled. Uh, when the truth is, if uh, someone comes to our church and they've been there three months and wonder why they don't have a deep friendship, and that's because in life, a deep friendship, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, does not happen in three months unless you're in a foxhole somewhere together fighting some kind of battle. Fast track, right? Yeah, deep friendship. It's going to take a while, a while of showing up and being awkward and not knowing what to say and not knowing what to do. And, and so the immediate gratification, the hit that we get from our smartphone, we try to apply to our relationships. We try to apply to God. We try to apply to sanctification. You know, we, God just hasn't set it up that way. And so that is a real challenge. And so what it makes us is impatient. We're impatient. And we, we, uh, we prize speed. And here's the thing. The word haste in the Bible is almost always associated with folly. You can look it up. Uh, you know, we're all adults, you know. And if you don't have to take mine. Just look it up. Search, you know, haste. And it's almost always associated with folly. So here's a practical, a practical thing for church leaders. I'm trying to give you some practical stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so every time we meet as leader, here's the secrets of the trade. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody listen. We got it. Every time we meet as leaders, we've learned to rehearse a number of sayings together, and uh, one of them is um, most of the time, hurry will not help us. Hmm. That doesn't mean cowardliness, but haste is almost always a foolish thing. And so what we'll say is this. There's emergency room decision-making, ER, that values immediacy and relief. There's boardroom decision-making, VR, that values uh, quantity and efficiency. As church leaders tonight, we need... ER sometimes. There are crises that we have to act quickly. There are, we do have budgets. We are a 501c3. We do need to think through those things. But uh, if the emergency room or the boardroom becomes our norm, then we've gone astray because Jesus almost never brings immediate relief. And Jesus almost, he just doesn't seem to care about money the way we do. <laughs> in order to get his kingdom going. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Uh, and and he's not, I, may I say it this way? Our Lord is not very efficient. Yeah, yeah it's like he invested in Bitcoin. Right. right. If I was younger, I'd get that I'm reference. Sorry. <laughs> so here's the thing. <laughs> So if you remove immediacy and relief, quantity and efficiency, what do you have left? Yourself. Time, appropriate touch, eye contact, laughter, tears, silences, sentences, the open book, prayer, a task together. Because there's no immediate fix. There's just being with. And so we, we say that to ourselves every time we meet. Because uh, I, I was worried that was redundant, but our uh, core leader said, we have to hear that every time we meet. We don't hear it anywhere else. Mm. And what happens is um, we just say our, our businesses, any, any meeting you've been to this week really matters in your vocation. But the one we're doing tonight has a different bottom line. Mm -hmm. It's an apple and an orange. That's so good. Uh, one more question from us, and then we'll turn it over to everyone else. Uh, something that you mentioned as you were teaching was about uh, rhythms of, of rest and work and how it's a biblical pattern. It's the story of scripture. It's how we're wired. It's how we're made. Uh, I'm always just very curious to know how people live out that. I think it's a very common thing to say, you know, we should all Sabbath and rest. Don't, you know, let's yeah. do silence and solitude. Yeah. I'm going to tweet about it. <laughs> how, how, what does that look like for you? Uh, <laughs> because yeah. you're, 
you know, Duke introduced you, you're an adjunct professor, yeah. pastor uh, in St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, you have a diverse collection of people in your body. You have children, all of that. Well, um, so the moment I'm in right now is not sustainable. And so our, our core leaders and my family are all in it together. So it's a, a pastor-teacher hybrid that we're doing. I'm saying I, that's not sustainable. I don't want to go back to an old way of life that I once knew. Mm -hmm. I'll need community to help me discern these kinds of things. And that's what's happening. And so, so Sabbath is the question. So that's the first thing. We're in a, in a moment that's not a sustainable one. Okay. That's, thanks for saying that. Yeah. So I, you could have answered, well, this is how I do Sabbath, you know? Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I, because I feel like I'm, yeah, to say, to confess what I'm doing right now isn't sustainable. Yeah. Is a, is a kindness. So I need community. You know, those folks remind me, Zach, I'm afraid I'll do the old thing. And they've said, Zach, number one, you would have never said you're not in a sustainable moment. Mm. Number two, you wouldn't have invited anyone in to tell you what to do. Mm. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I guess I have changed because I feel like I've not changed. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, no, here I go. The question is rest. But the, the, uh, on this little moment here, there's this movie called The Natural. It's a little older. It's yeah, really it's good. good. Yeah, okay. It's Robert one of my, Redford. Yeah, Robert Redford. What a man. One of my top five. Oh, really? It's one of my top five. Wow. Okay, anyway. That's number one. Yeah. <laughs> I'll think about that. Is but, that uh, yeah. So the movie, the movie, you know, the baseball player, Roy Hobbs, makes some mistakes, gets a second chance, tempted, chooses rightly, movie ends happily. But the novel that the movie is based on does not end that way. Hmm. The novel is the baseball player makes mistakes, gets a second chance, makes the same mistakes, lose every, loses everything again. Good novel. Yes. <laughs> That's probably why we don't know about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that really scares me. Hmm. So I think about that a lot. Hmm. And in terms of practices of rest, um, they're about to change because we're going to have a baby in the house. Oh, uh, so that, you know, that's going to change. But I'd say the key thing is the key thing is this for me, uh, I need to go no screens. Uh, I need to have a time where I'm not, I'm not going to check my email. So my day off right now is Friday. I'm not going to check my email. If it's an emergency, they'll call. Mm -hmm. Well, 30 minutes into that, I'm, I'm reaching for the phone. Hour and a half in, I'm still reaching for the phone. And I think, I am really addicted to this thing. It's a habit. Four hours in, I'm worried about all the emails I'm going to have tomorrow morning. I'm telling myself, maybe there is an emergency and they didn't call. And then uh, eight hours in, I'm at rest. A different way of rest. My brain has rested. It's, there's, it, there's always biological studies, physiology studies. Mm -hmm. I have a hard time doing that. It's not a biblical mandate. You don't have to go out. There's no Bible verse. But for me, as a way to try to practice, I have to let my brain rest. Another thing is that uh, a one day and seven uh, rest for me means trying to sleep without guilt, if I can find it, watching some kind of old movie, being outside, doing something with my hand, trying to uh, not study something, not teach something, not write something to teach, trying to actually uh, be just human, a human being, resting from my particular work. If that is somewhat happening, mm -hmm. uh, by the way, I do that on Fridays because that gives most of the time Thursday night and Saturday morning. So Thursday, uh, I should back up and say I'm home every night around 5. Mm. I'm out for meetings one night a month. I would never have done that before, not realizing I can make my own schedule. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a plush job. Yeah. Yeah. No one's writing that book. That's it's right. Pretty, <laughs> make your own schedule and choose your own vacations. Yeah. So there's a way to do that. Like uh, language in our house is this is dad's meeting night. The kids know that. Jessica knows that. Everybody knows what that means. So I just try to schedule all evening stuff on one big, one big thing so that if there's, and I don't lead any, I don't know if this is any good, but I don't lead our men's Bible studies. Even as a solo pastor, I didn't. We equip volunteers to do that. Yeah. And I, so I'm not at a lot of, I, 
when we when we had a building program, I would show up. We had like eight eight teams moving into a building from a school. We had like eight teams. They were led by everybody. Uh, I said to, as elders, we have no opinions. We don't care if the carpet's blue or red. We don't care about anything but shepherding people through the decisions they make. Mm. Um, and so that meant I would show up a meeting for 15 minutes and then leave. Mm. And it meant that our church doesn't look anything like I may have <laughs> done it. It's just that I felt that because I'm a pastor, it doesn't mean my favorite color is now divinely appointed. Right. <laughs> That's good. That creates rest. Mm-hmm. Not only for myself and my family, but for others, what I'm trying to say. There's some meetings we actually don't have to attend. When we first get started in ministry, that's much harder. We have to be able to have the time to equip folks, uh, mm-hmm. to train them to be able to do that. So I'm not, I don't mean it tritely. But over time, we can equip others with their gifts that we check in on, but we don't have to be the primary person anymore. And that creates some room. Yeah. Finally, I write about this, the four portions of a day. And that is um, in the, you know, the morning, the afternoon, the evening, and the night watches. And uh, when the morning ends, uh, I try to say, Lord, the morning has ended. I'm on my way to lunch. I turn the radio off. I'm in the truck. I'm driving to meet with someone. I'm going to pray for them before I meet with them. And I am thinking through three C's. It's, it's trite. It's just what I remember. Uh, carnality. What, what temptations have been in the morning? cares what anxieties are from the morning consolations what small gifts did the lord give me this morning to encourage me i'm mm-hmm. um, thinking it through carnalities i don't know i it's just really whatever and lord please do battle with that temptation and then cares and then for me i don't quite know what it is i just feel really <laughs> bothered and i'm thinking it back through it's 11:45. i'm thinking 10 o'clock nine o'clock Oh, there it was, that email at at eight, whatever, that said concerned. I'm still there. Mm. Here's what I've learned. If I don't take that five-minute pause before I meet with you, Mm. I bring all that unmeditated stuff into our meeting. I'm not thankful because I didn't notice anything God did. I haven't thought about the care and cast it upon the Lord. And I may have done no battle with any temptation coming my Mm. way. If, if you've ever noticed, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times families, when everyone comes together around dinner time, between that dinner time and bedtime, they fight. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is because we're, everyone's bringing their unmeditated day yeah. into close proximity. Yeah. <laughs> and when that builds day upon day upon day upon day. So that small pause, um, Lord, the evening has ended. The night watches are beginning. I'm in bed. Begin to think through the day. Now, I'm a person with anxiety. If I'm in a a season of anxiety attack or depression, it is not helpful for me to Mm. think back through the day. Mm. That's another question for another thing. So I I don't want to be be careful because I can can get fixed on the wrong things and just whatever. So I need community. But a normal rhythm, those portions. When those portions are happening day upon day with a – a uh, 24-hour rest, one day in seven, discerning with help what is not sustainable and what what meetings I need to attend and what I can trust our team with, uh, even if someone thinks I should be at the meeting. Hmm. Then it creates a different rhythm over time. And if we're rehearsing these things as a elders or as deacons or as meetings every time we get together, it creates a pace. We also, one last practice, we have resting month in our church. So January, May, we keep thinking, should it be April or May? It's April. January, April, and August are resting months. What that means is that every week, weekly activity shuts down without guilt. Strategic rest for vigorous mission. Mm-hmm. So every leader can have a break, no guilt. Mm-hmm. The problem we've not solved is the children's ministry on Sunday morning. And the worship teams. But all the midweek stuff, all the Bible studies, all the house groups, everything stops for that month. Uh, When we first did that, people said, you're going to lose volunteers. I was afraid of that. But here's the thing. If you're going to lose volunteers because you're unwilling to give them a break, something's off. (laughs) Uh, They're serving for the wrong reasons, you know. What will likely happen is that most of the people volunteering want to. And they're going to eventually burn out or get sick and feel guilty for stopping. Yeah. So if you just build in this um, teaching of work and rest in the fabric of your uh, organizational part of your church, 
it gives you a way to talk about it on a regular basis. Mm. And um, people didn't like that at first. All kinds of pushback to have a resting month. That's because I didn't teach well. And so I had to do a series on what is work, what is rest, what is laziness, what isn't laziness, all that kind of stuff. Mm. And then now people are very thankful for it mm. uh, because leaders who are really committed have uh, a break with no guilt. Mm. And then they come back at it. With know, vigorous mission. With vigorous mission, yeah. Mm. That's kind of muddled, but there's some practices having to do with rest. Yeah, that's good. Thanks so much. That's very good. Yeah. yeah. Well, I could ask a lot more questions, yeah. but I'm going to let other people talk as a new rhythm I'm trying to practice. <laughs> yeah. um, Amy has the mic. She's right over here. So if you uh, have a question or comment, uh, not a sermon, but if you have a question or something like that, raise your hand. She'll come to you. Uh, wait for her to get to you before you ask your question. Know that uh, Jesus is our guide and the Spirit is our guide, but what have been some practical guides for you uh, in your spiritual life? Um, some mentors, books, uh, moments. You talked a lot about creation, seeing God in creation. You read Jonathan Edwards, but just kind of wanting to hear um, from a Reformed evangelical, what has been your journey of seeing God in those things and what have been some helpful uh, perspectives that you have received along the way? Thank you. That's a great question. I laugh because part of my answer is I've read people who are not evangelical or reformed and they've been some help to me. Wendell Berry is one, a farmer and, uh, Henry Nowen as a Catholic priest has been a good help to me. And that has led to desert fathers and mothers whom I don't agree with theologically and various things, but I'm very helped mm. by the language they give. Those were people, that monastic movement for, for all the ways I think we, we would bring, I think hopefully love and critique those folks are trying to figure out how to stay in one place over a long period of time. Mm. And a lot of us as ministry leaders, that's what we've signed up for mm. uh, to be in a place for a while, a shepherd on the same hill with the same sheep yeah. week after week. And, uh, and so I went looking for who, who, who writes about this, who talks about how to get somewhere by staying put. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so that has led to some of these folks who are outside of the stream that I'm a part of, but maybe because they're using language that's different from what I'm accustomed to, it's been helpful, even though I don't always agree with everything they say. So that's been real helpful. Trying to read poetry has been helpful uh, because it slows things down and requires a different way of knowing um, that's different. Uh, within our within the Reformed theological and I should say C.S. Lewis as well um, in mm -hmm. some different ways, but a Reformed theological world, there's a, a professor, a mentor named Jerem Bars. Um, he's written a handful of books, The Heart of Prayer, Evangelism According to Jesus, but most of us who, who are impacted by him aren't impacted because of his books, but because of his life. Mm. And uh, he's the one who said, when I asked him, Jerem, why, why haven't you written more books? We, uh, we all just wish you'd written more. And he said, I just enjoy my garden too much. Mm. That's so good. So being around folks like that or a mentor named Bob Smart who's just been a pastor in a place for a long while <laughs> in a place called Normal, Illinois. <laughs> and then, of course, the readings have been what you'd expect. With, I mean, uh, Jonathan Edwards or John Calvin. I'm really thankful for Augustine. Really thankful for Charles Spurgeon. Mm-hmm. I have been recovering where are resources within our reform tradition that talk about pace or rest, you know, and I'm gradually finding those. And so, for example, Matthew Henry's book, um, Meekness and Quietness of Spirit, is he talks about what he calls a Sabbath heart. Mm. And that is we we are cultivating an inward quiet, not because circumstances will change. They won't. Um, circumstances will still swirl, people will still come at us, all the kinds of things, but we've slowed down inwardly, so we respond differently. Or uh, Richard Baxter, his little book called Converse with God in Solitude. 
It's a marvelous book. He's meditating on that verse in the book of John where Jesus says that all of his friends have deserted him, but he is not alone. Mm. It's, it's remarkable. And so meditating on that, r- reading things from Charles Spurgeon about what he calls quietude. <laughs> How that prince of preachers, quote unquote, said that learning quietude is better than preaching. <laughs> because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right. So I'll just say listening preacher, but he's just getting it. In order to speak, we, we have to have first done business with where that speech is coming from. <laughs> And we can get to the place where it's been so long since we've been quiet. We're just offering secondhand thoughts from anywhere. We don't, we're just, and Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher, warned about that, you know. Um, John Calvin talking about, um, in the Institutes, talking about our propensity to interrupt God. God's trying to speak to us, and we keep talking so much, we can't hear him and no one else can. And him saying, that uh, silence is among uh, the most treasured parts of a Christian's life. So it's just, it's just there um, within our own stream. And I, I suppose coming at books with these different questions, a theology of place, a theology of our body, and you know, gladness and food and these kinds of things, God is our creator. Maybe it's just helped me read some of our reform stuff a little differently so I notice some things more than I did. Another question. Uh, Friendships, when you are the spiritual leader in the community or a spiritual leader, can be pretty complicated. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it can happen in a variety of ways. I would say primarily, one, uh, in choosing friends unwisely. And then secondly, in neglecting adequate investment and presence into healthy friendships so that you're carrying uh, burdens and celebrating things well in community. What wisdom would you give to leaders so that they avoid the uh, loneliness that looms around leadership at times? Yeah, there's a lot to say about that really important question. Watch out for flattery. The idea of we chose the wrong people. I've just done that. And we all do. Oh my goodness, maybe they'll be our friend. (laughs) You know (laughs) And uh, and end up realizing that number one, they just wanted an end with the pastor, or not, or the pastor's wife, or one of the pastor's kids, or number two, they actually had a celebrity mindset. They were in awe of you, wanted to spend time with you because you're the guy and you're the lady, you know, the first lady or whatever. They don't know that, and the first time you sin, I mean, in the sense of you were irritable. You're in relationship and you, the dog barked. You about kicked the dog and it was right in front of them. And you have to say, I'm sorry. They don't have a category for it. And they not only leave, they attack. Because you should be better than that. You're a man of God or you're a woman of God. I thought you were this and that. And all of a sudden they spew all this stuff on you. It's in the name of God and the Bible. What it is, is it's American cultural celebrity that's been entangled in there and they bring it. They didn't know they were required to love a human being. And so I'm saying all of that because that makes us really gunshot or, you know, really um, hesitant to reach out. Others of us um, struggle in a different way. We're hanging out with people and putting it on Facebook. And so other members of the congregation see that they're not there. And there you are smiling with so-and-so. And we're in house group together. You guys were invited. Why wasn't I invited? You know, we were having a baby shower coming up. Some people want to have a baby shower for our wife, my wife, Jessica, and our new baby. And part of the stress is figuring out who to invite and not to invite. And when we gave the invitation, because we would want to invite everybody. But it's kind of an intimate thing with a baby shower. And, you know, and all that stuff. And some people wouldn't. They love, they care about you, but they wouldn't want to come because you don't have that kind of relationship. And if you invited them, suddenly they'd feel pressure. The pastor and his wife invited us to the baby shower. Now we have to go. You know, like it's this whole thing and it feels like this whole game and you're just starting to spiral down, you know. And so we 
we were actually saying on the invitation, there are many more people we wanted to invite. But as you know, we have limited space. Please don't post anything of this shower on social media. And we will actually say that to the folks who are there. Why? Because all of a sudden it'll seem like there's in and there's out and there's in crowd and out crowd and the favorites. And, and so others of us need to be more aware of that than we are on that side. All of that put together means, man, how can you ever know anybody as a pastor, you know, or a pastor's wife? Well, you can. <laughs> you really can. We just have to slow down. Uh, so the church I serve now is unusual because we've been through thick and thin. They've seen me at my worst. If I have an anxiety attack on a Saturday night, I'm calling an elder. My wife's already asleep. I don't want to wake her up again. Mm. I'm in the midst of a panic attack. Can we just talk about nothing? Mm. Now it's 1230. And I'm saying, I don't know if I should preach in the morning. Mm. Zach, I don't know if you should. What do we, what do, we do? Well. There's that seminary student. We know he works a late shift. <laughs> He's a faithful man. We appreciate his preaching. And that's exactly what we did. I called him on the late shift and said, Dear brother, do you have a sermon from school you can preach tomorrow or something? He was earnest and stayed up through the night and prepared a new message and blessed that's our cool, congregation. Man. That's cool. Did I go to our entire congregation at that point and say, I'm not preaching because I had a panic attack? No. Did my core leaders know that's why I wasn't preaching? Yes. When people ask me, because I was there, people ask me, oh, why aren't you preaching today? I'm just not well. Later on, at some distance, I share a fuller story with more people. So um, what I'm saying is, because we've been through stuff and people have seen my humanity and my own weakness, and I am known, which scares me to death, but I am known in some way, some of those folks are our dear friends. If I wasn't the pastor there, that's where I'd want to be at church. If I, yeah. That's where we'd want to have our child. That's where we'd want our yep, kids to be. That's, there's still a loneliness in it because as close as we are with uh, some folks, I still can't tell them everything about my day, who I met with, you know, what's going on in so-and-so's family. You know, yeah. There's still some things I can't share. That's right. And so in the midst of those, um, maybe we would look at it this way. In the New Testament with the apostles, they have these traveling companions that travel with them. Paul is generally vulnerable with everybody. You know, I have a thorn in my flesh and didn't answer the prayer. I'm a, I'm a person who covets. You know, oh, I was wore out, afflicted, tired at every turn. So he's generally vulnerable. But we don't know what the thorn was. And we don't know what he coveted. I bet Titus and Timothy knew, you know. So he's specifically vulnerable with a few. And that uh, few is what we're asking God for. And that means finally, you guys, you men and women need each other. Because uh, you really can have good friendships, I believe, in a congregation. You really can, and we can talk more about that. But even the best friendships there, you can't share everything. And so you need each other. So when uh, Paul was stressed out and exhausted and discouraged. And he said, but God, who comforts a downcast, comforted us. What was the means? By the coming of Titus. So you need each other. I mean, what did Titus do? He just, I don't know. They went to Starbucks. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. The, the Jew and the Gentile minorities there, yeah. they just spent time and there was something in that. Nothing changed, <laughs> but something changed. So I feel like with the traveling companions, as well as a few, yeah, you, you need each other. I just think it's both end. Yeah, there's a lot more to say. So good. Uh, let's do one more question from a female. Sorry. Is that okay? Unless no ladies have any questions at all. I am really curious around this idea of one evening a meet one evening meeting a month thing. Um, and I realize it's... <laughs> I'm not saying anything, you guys. <laughs> no, I... And I realize it's not a prescription, and that's yes. just a, an expression of obedience to, this, to the Spirit in your life. But 
how do you maintain that but also still do like home visits with people and like mm-hmm. going and praying with them like do you categorize those in this in the same category or yeah what do, what do you do that's such a good question and um so i i wanted to say i don't want to put any of us in a in a spot you know like it takes a while so it does take a while uh it takes a while for to equip and disciple folks with a collaborative mindset. And it means that instead of being at that meeting, I am checking in with the leader for lunch. I meet with each of our leaders, our core leaders for lunch every month, you know, individually. So there's more relational stuff that way, which frees up the evening. But as that happens, when the time comes where you're able to gradually, gradually do that, Here's the benefit of the one night a month, or you might say two nights a month. Here's the benefit. It allows you room to meet with people who can only meet in the evening, but they have to honor your schedule the way you're trying to honor theirs. So uh, if my night is Monday nights, uh, if you that's when I can meet with someone in the evening. This Monday night's full. The next one's full. I can meet you three Monday nights from now. I could meet with you during the day, two days from now. They'll say, no, I can't do that. Okay. So we feel inaccessible, but actually we're not. They're as inaccessible as we are. It's just we're collaborating with their calendar. We're asking them to honor ours too, not callously. Uh, Again, I'm talking about pastors who feel like they're letting people down, you know, so it, it, it allows for that in a structured way that the whole family knows. That's the way it goes. So it doesn't pop up out of the blue and it's random this or that. By doing that, gradually then, an emergency is an emergency. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like, so here's, a, here's an anecdote. I was at my son, my wife and I coached our son's basketball team, YMCA. This was a few years ago. YMCA basketball team. It was the end of the year party for the entire team. We were all there. Uh, everybody's getting awards, all that kind of stuff. I get a call that um, a young couple in our congregations rushed to the hospital. A three-month-old may have died. I'm sorry to mention that because that may touch some of us here very deeply. I leave that party. It's my son's party. I leave the party. I, I get down. I look him in the eye. Buddy, I need to go. There's an emergency and they need a pastor. Okay, Dad. You know. I love you. This is a great party. I tell these folks, sorry, I need to go. I go, and all of what that is is what it is. Mm. I feel badly later. Mm. And my wife, Jessica, says this. Oh, he, you know, okay, he's fine. You never leave. Mm. You're always home. When you say it's an emergency, we all know it really is. Mm. Yes, what I've been learning is that it's the boy who cried wolf thing. Like, if the family knows that I'm that we are doing their our best to honor our calling at home, mm. then the family is more able to free us. Not only free us, empower us mm. to go do what only the pastor can do in that moment. And now it's a team effort. You know, the kids and Jessica mm. are praying. There's no resentment. It's not. It's a full-on um, empowerment thing like that. I remember having a, an emergency with a family, and I was about to walk out the door. We were having dinner. Jessica got up from the table. She must have seen I was feeling badly. I don't hide things well in my face, happy or otherwise, you know. <laughs> and and she came over, and she kissed me like we were married. <laughs> you know. And she said, Zach, she looked me right in the eye, and she said, you are a son of the king. Go get him. I felt empowered to go out and face that. Where does that make sense? So, so it takes a while. It builds in structure that guards the family. We really don't have to be out as much as we think we do. In a non-trite way, I mean that. And as we move in that direction, building in that kind of thing, it lets an emergency be an emergency. And I think then the family is all barring other issues going on in our family. I think most most folks are glad for what we do. 
when we first when we were first together, they were glad to be in this together, you know. And so, hmm. yeah, yeah, that's that's a great question. question. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, giving us your time and your energy. That took a lot to get to the here, and then to share with us for six hours. Thanks so much. So thank you so much. Thank you. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.